Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Before I introduce my guest, I always like to begin by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show and to encourage you to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, I'd really appreciate it if you were to share the show with your friends, your family, with other people that you know, and certainly even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page where you can share and like and comment and get the Everyday Millionaire message out to the masses. So thanks again for the feedback you provide the team and I. It is definitely appreciated. Now, my guest today, Kirsty Dunn, is an influential figure in the health and fitness industry. Kirsty partners with iconic brands such as Adidas, Maybelline, Sportcheck, just to name a few, and coaches others to build a bridge between intention and action when it comes to making healthier lifestyle changes and, as Kirsty says, get it done. Her purpose-driven mission is in channeling wellness initiatives into the culture of people's lives and brands through innovation and collaboration to impact health on a global scale. Her leadership and captivating presence continues to make Dunn an established authority, making her mark on the health and fitness industry. Through the use of digital communication, presenting, leading events, and her wellness programs, she is a powerful influence. And Kirsty literally reaches across demographics, across borders, and beyond traditional spheres of influence. She has dedicated her life to impacting thousands of people through coaching, creating wellness programs, and hosting numerous wellness events for premium brands and Fortune 500 companies. And she is now preparing to release her most recent project, which is her fitness app, appropriately named Get It Done. Through it all, her wellness and fitness mindset has remained steadfast since crafting it back in 2007. And today she joins me to share her journey, her learning, and her message of health including physical and mental fitness. And without any further delay, let's get this show started. Kirsty Dunn, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. We've uh, taken some time, but here we are today. It's taken a while to get this scheduled. You're a busy lady. So welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Patrick. 
Now, Kirsty, let's get right into it. And I guess you'd be a wellness. What do you what do you call yourself? You're a wellness coach. You're a performance coach. You do a lot of really cool things in that space. But how do you describe yourself if somebody says, "What do you do?" Uh, what's your What's your quick and down and easy, dirty answer? <laughs> the, the elevator pitch. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, I would say, well, I'm a by uh, my expertise is in fitness, nutrition, and life coaching. Um, that's my background. I would say more of a wellness performance coach and a uh, brand strategist as well. So I generally work uh, with a lot of brands in creating more of a, an experience um, in terms of how to really attract consumers and help people to change their lifestyles through healthier habits. And that's generally, I work more of the now more on the digital performance wellness side of things now. Uh, I'm a brand ambassador also for Adidas. So I present, uh, I go on tour uh, with a brand for a lot of the female empowerment campaigns. And so I basically lead fitness events, uh, coach, and uh, that's pretty much my background. Do you do some modeling too? Because I mean, you're, you're beautiful and you, there's got to be some, is there some fitness modeling in there as well? Uh, that is, you know, I think that's just part of, uh, my lifestyle. I mean, that was my background, uh, more of a part-time I started actually, I guess, you know, that's really, if you want to get into my personal journey, what really led me to my nutrition and exercise and living a healthier lifestyle. And, uh, you know, I was, I went from the runway modeling industry, which, uh, then led me into the fitness industry, fitness modeling side of things. Um, and just, you know, it's, it's a part of what I do because it's, you know, I represent, I am the brand and I, you know, I live a healthy lifestyle. So, uh, it just comes with the territory of what you promote. So you're a brand ambassador for Adidas and you've been brand ambassadors for products in the past. Yes. And, uh, so you're in the modeling industry in the past. You you do live a, a healthy lifestyle. You know, I, I follow you a lot on Instagram. I think that's pr- primarily, is that your primary social media kind of uh, space that you hang out in? Uh, it is, yes, yes. So take me back a little bit, and, and I like to uncover how seemingly ordinary people achieve extraordinary results. And tell me a little bit about your journey. So you know, where did you, you were born in uh, London, I believe? That's correct. Yeah. Born in London, England. And when did you, when did you move? When did you guys, uh, when did your family come to Canada? Yeah. So we moved to Canada when I was about four years old. Um, and uh, my parents decided one day just to get up and, you know, they wanted a different life. Um, and so Canada, Toronto was the choice. <laughs> yeah. A cold country. <laughs> well, I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I could have been California or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Darn parents. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and so I pretty much, you know, Canada is, Toronto is home. Um, and then my mom and dad, unfortunately, they got divorced when I was young, when I was about six years old. Um, we went back to England for a few years. And then my mom met uh, my stepfather who has literally been my father and uh, role model since the age of about six. And my mom remarried and we moved back to Canada. And so, you know, that's how I ended up here in Canada. <laughs> so now, but you're, you know, this is what you're doing is uh, very entrepreneurial. And I always like to look and consider, you know, is, is being an entrepreneur, is that kind of uh, the, 
genetic predisposition because you know your your mom and your dad were entrepreneurial how did you get how did you get into the space of being entrepreneurial Kirsty? well my stepfather he was my inspiration and my role model he had his own company um and he was just you know the disciplinary it was like he just was the one in the family that kept it together uh you know everything was orderly fashion you know he worked uh long hours always at the office And so my dad wasn't really, you know, really there because he was in England and he was always traveling. So my stepfather was that inspiration to, for me to have that discipline and that entrepreneurial spirit, um, which then led me to starting my own business years later. But my stepfather, he, you know, he worked really hard uh, to provide for the family and, you know, he actually lived, he lived an unhealthy lifestyle. So, you know, he, he didn't eat well, uh, you know, he didn't exercise, but we hardly saw him. Um, you know, he worked long hours and that's really what led me into my personal journey first of the health and fitness industry with nutrition and exercise, because he then, when I was about 18 was diagnosed, uh, with a brain tumor, with cancer. And, you know, so this is, this is where, this was really hard on our family. Um, and for me, uh, you know, be coming from, you know, if I could back up and say coming from my personal journey of being at a young age at about 14, 15, being in the modeling industry, you know, I, you know, as a young girl, when your summers are spent traveling the world, international runway and modeling, it, it was while a glamorous industry and my takeaways are the travel. But it was a very competitive industry. It was very, uh, it really, you know, wreaked havoc on your 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 self esteem, your confidence. And I started to develop a mental disorder, which is, uh, and I haven't ever talked about this ever, and I've never, you know, shared this in the media. And um, I think that's one of the reasons why I was really excited to come on and just you know really open up and hopefully to relate to, you know, somebody out there or that's going through something, because I know, you know, it can be like you said on the surface, it's like, you see this in social media, it's like from an aesthetic standpoint, or, you know, it is, I think it's hard for people to relate to say like, you know, what is her story? Where did she come from? Why, how did she become healthy and what led her to her journey? And I think that side of the modeling industry for me at a young age, I mean, exposed to that, um, you know, constantly obsessing about having to, you know, have this, uh, you know, unrealistic ideal body type trying to fit into clothes that, you know, it wasn't your realistic body type. I was very athletic growing up. You know, I love to play sports. I was, you know, luckily for me, I mean, I had good genetics because of my mom, but, um, you know, I did have more muscle and I was athletic. And so in the modeling industry, it became hard for me because, you know, you're constantly, it's very competitive and it's an unhealthy competitiveness because it's about, you know, numbers on the scale, um, you know, not getting that, that job or that runway or constantly being compared and being in apartments with girls in a foreign country who are, you know, bulimic, um, you know, you're, you know, you get to see everything that's happening in this industry. You know, I'd be in, you know, in high school and we'd have these competitions with the girls. And it's like, who can actually go the longest without eating? And because I wasn't, while my parents, like my mom would make healthy food and we were on that boring, typical, you know, British diet. <laughs> um, but, you know, I didn't know anything about nutrition and body weight and, you know, and, and a healthy body fat and how to eat 
properly. And so when you're not educated about those things and then you're having, you're exposed to that industry, that's when I started to develop, you know, body dysmorphia. And so it was very unhealthy, you know, constantly. Can I just, 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 I'm not familiar with that term. Is there, can you give me a description of that? Yeah. So it's a, it's a disorder, a mental disorder um, that affects about 2.4% of the population, men and women. It could be anything from obsessing about your weight, about your appearance. Uh, it causes social anxiety, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. It's, uh, it's a very unhealthy relationship, um, you know, where you develop, where, whether it's with your, your diet, from a physical standpoint, and that can transpire to so many things in your life. Um, and it's just, and that's looking back at that now, I realized that's what I had. So there's a, you know, there's lots of places to enter this conversation, Kirsty. It's such, I, I find it quite interesting and fascinating. I mean, I know little or, uh, I, I don't want to say I don't, I know nothing about the modeling industry because of just people we know. There's a little bit of insights into it, but there is really, a dark side to the modeling industry that is quite expansive. Like the dark side is very expansive. And, and we're talking today about body image and, and what that does. So that dis- the dysmorphia is a, what you call the mental disorder. Was that driven or did that come to life because of what the industry was like working in that industry, hanging out in that industry, all of a sudden your whole view of the world starts to shift because you're so impacted by your environment, your culture, your surroundings, and that constant pressure. So mentally you just start to go down a pretty dark hole as what, what was what I'm hearing but I don't want to interpret it if that's not what it is for you. That's exactly what it was. You wow. know, when you're, expo- when you're in that environment and that becomes your life and you're, you're, you know, you're at a young age and it wasn't full time. You know, um, I was in school, I did my studies. My parents said, okay, you know, I was let out of school, you know, a month early because my grades were really good. So my parents said, okay, you can do this. And Hey, why not allow our daughter to travel? They don't have to put the money up (laughs) for free, right. To experience this. And, you know, while I, my takeaways would say, you know, I became very independent. Um, you know, it was a lot of travel, um, but it definitely, when you're exposed to that and you're in that environment and it's a different culture, it's a, and from a society standpoint, and you're just always, com- you know, always exposed to that every day from the competitive nature of it, of your lowest, you know, every day your emotions are just fluctuating because of, did I get that job? Was I not good enough? Did I, was it because my nose, I had a bump on my nose, was it because I wasn't the right weight? And I just got, I just, you know, eventually a few years later, I just, I was done with it. And I said, you know, I don't want to feel like I'm in this new, you know, this jail where I, it's a, you know, constantly watching what I eat and dieting. I don't want to be that person. And I have to do the work first before I can empower other people and help change their lives. And that's what led me to studying exercise and nutrition. And it was supposed to be just really for my own personal knowledge and education. And then it's interesting because I went from one extreme to the other, which was here I am in the smaller industry to now, then I got involved in the fitness competitive industry, you know? Um, so, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to cut you off. I'm going to go there with you, but I want to, I want to, yeah. I want to, I think there's such an important message here for listeners uh, that are, you know, number one millennials perhaps, but the parents that, because I want to dig into that a little bit because this whole 
And because you're, uh, you know, you're really, really engaged in the social media aspect of things and, and what you do for a living and who you are. And I want to go back to how old were you when you were modeling and that was going on for you, Kirsty? What was your age through that time? So when I was uh, seriously immersed in it, I was probably about 15 years old. Uh, and that's when I started traveling the world, uh, International Runway. Right. And you did that for what, three or four years, five years? How long were you, were you doing that game? I did that. Yeah, I did that. I mean, I started really young from commercial modeling. It was just part-time. It was just a hobby. And then I would say I was about, I would say about 18 when I decided that I wanted to quit the industry and start to study nutrition and exercise and get healthy. So, and you were saying you're athletic in school. So, you know, what I do know about, you know, modeling is, is that although that athletic body is, you would think is really appealing, it's actually not. It, the, the clothes don't hang correctly. They, there's a, there's a part of it that that athletic body is not mm -hmm. what they want. They don't want, exactly. you know, really great quads and, you know, <laughs> and hamstrings and yeah. biceps, right? They yeah, want, definitely. yeah. So, and did your mom travel with you at all during that time, Christy, or were you pretty much on your own? Yes. Yeah, she did. So she actually, she tried to come on the trip. She was very supportive. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, my parents really were ultimately they, you know, anything I want to be involved in from, you know, competitive swim to professional dance to sports, they always supported anything I wanted to do. And they just wanted to, you know, kind of just push you and see what fits and see yeah. what, you know, you end up sticking with. And the modeling was just, you know, she wants to do it. Let's let her do it. But, um, yeah. So, you know, they were very supportive when it came to that. That's cool. Now, you and I had met at the performance clinic that we held in Toronto. Alan Kahn, Richard Dolan facilitated that clinic. Yes. And you were one of the, uh, I guess, facilitators and speakers, and you shared some of your stuff. Were you aware at the time, Kirsty? do you think at 15 years old, you felt all the pressure, the anxiety, you know, you were starting to get, you know, mentally, you know, worn out. Do you think at the time you had an awareness around defining who you wanted to be and not be because here my experience with athletes in general is they're pretty focused you're very athletic coming up in school you're well supported by your family awesome awesome do you think at you know at 18 or whenever you got out of the modeling industry was there a point for you where you said this just is not in alignment with who I am or what I want to be were you that do you think you were that deep or that aware at the time Christy 100% that's that's exactly what happened and you know when I was 18 it was this is what the, I guess this was the term that I used when I was 18. It was, you know, I'm done this industry. You are not going to judge and choose me. You are not going to decide. And, you know, basically it was, I'm not allowing someone to choose me and affect my self-esteem and my confidence. I will decide who I want to be. And, you know, and, and that's where I was just done with the judgment, the, the, the constant comparing myself to others. And I just wanted to take control into my own hands. And, um, and that's really ultimately what happened, um, which is why I wanted to study ex uh, nutrition and exercise. That's such a, I mean, gosh, that's such a, I think for me, and when I see, you know, I, I think that's a really uh, cool place to have been at that age, because often it's not, I mean, you're giving up, you know, travel and money, you're giving up limelight. There's, there's lots of stuff in behind there that would really play to one's ego, if you will, or to yeah. the image, right? You know, who are mm -hmm. you if you're not that? So when you're making that decision and you're jumping off the cliff and going, I'm not doing this anymore, uh, were you able to do that because you had your parents there to catch you or were you morphing into something else or were you already clear on where you wanted to go or were you just 
where were you in that whole thought process? Did it, did it really freak you out to jump off the cliff and go, I'm out? I don't think it freaked me out because I look back at it and I think it was more, I would say from a, um, an intellectual and a mental standpoint, it was, you know, this has been fun. This is, it was, it was fun, but this is not, this is not my future, you know? And, and like I said, I mean, there are takeaways, you know, and I can focus on the negative or, but I can say that that's what brought me to where I am today. I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for that experience. That's so, that's so critical for people to hear, right? We had a young lady that uh, lived with us for many years, my wife, Stephanie and I, who was a competitive skater. And then she went on to skate, she went on to skate with uh, Disney on ice and she was one of the stars on the show. The point of that is she did that very young and she literally traveled the world. I don't think there's anywhere in the world that she hasn't been, but what that gave her was so much street smarts and, and maturity Mm -hmm. and a different view of the world. And, uh, it was so powerful and, and I, you know, so I can, I can relate to the value that you would have received, um, and had and brought forward yeah. with you from that experience. Definitely. Definitely. So yeah. awesome. So now tell me a little bit about into now you're starting to, you've been athletic, you have a, a mindset of an athlete, you're, you've got some experience around a parent that's maybe not living a great lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Did you start to go to school for the whole nutritional side of it or athletic training side of it? What did you do in that regard? Yeah, I did. Um, I got my kinesiology degree. Um, I studied uh, nutrition. And because I like the competitive side of uh, nutrition and sport, uh, I studied sport-specific training. So I wanted to work with, you know, your, be able to work with a diverse range of clientele from beginners, anyone that's, you know, I can relate to that's experiencing what I went through just wants to live a healthy lifestyle or the, you know, or professional athlete, you know, and when I talk about when my stepfather actually was diagnosed with cancer, um, this is when I started to get involved in the fitness competitive industry. So as I say, I went from, you know, one extreme to the other. Um, and it was more of a goal. It was like, okay, I, I understand nutrition. I'm educated in it. I know how to change my body in a certain amount of time. I know what I need to do. I know how to train. And I said, Hey, let's, this is a really good challenge for me. So I entered a fitness competition and trained for it, very strict dieting. I mean, training to the point where you're literally like from a social standpoint, you don't have a social life, you right. know, and it just, you, you go out and you can't have eat the normal things everyone else is doing. And I was like, this is okay because this is just, you know, part of the journey in order to get fit for this fitness competition. And then I did the fitness competition and I wasn't, I didn't do it to win. Now this is a personal challenge for me and I didn't win because they're fixed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. All predetermined. (laughs) Well, they really are. And regardless of that, that's not, that's not really where my mindset was at. Um, but then after that, I still was very, I wouldn't say the word is obsessed, but I was very strict. You know, it was back to, it was kind of similar. I wouldn't say back to the modeling industry, but it was caloric intake. It was, you know, counting my macronutrients. Everything had to be very specific. And if I didn't work out, it would affect me that day. And I was tired. You know, I look back at picture, uh, pictures now and I just, I looked gaunt. I looked tired. I was training too much. And one of the reasons, and I'll tell you where this came from. I entered this fitness competition when my stepfather passed away. So I saw my stepfather pass away right in front of my eyes, you know, which is like, I can't, it was really hard to talk about. Um, and I think so that's really ultimately 
you know, and I tear up whenever I talk about this, but um, you never, you know, to see someone like that so close to you pass away and you lose that control, everything that you think that you were educated on nutrition, exercise, and you just feel so helpless and someone that had their life in so much control, you know, they, they, you know, they were your role model, you know, you just knew they had everything together. How can someone so strong, how can this take them over? And so here I am feeling helpless and, and really, you know, you lose that sense of control. And so how did I, how did I gain that sense of control back? What did I do? I went to an extreme of let's enter a fitness competition. Let's distract myself. I can control everything from what I'm eating to my training, to my lifestyle. And it was unhealthy, you know, and I I know that when I look back at that and through the years that that was, that was how I dealt with it, you know? Yeah. I can't, you know, I think you hit it on the head that, you know, when you lost your stepfather, there is a place where you need to, where it's so out of your control. You know, there's probably a, a propensity or a tendency to want to get control back in your life and really own that part of your life so that you feel like you have some control over something going on, given how, how you know, just how devastating a loss of a parent can be, stepfather or not, of course. Here you are today, though. You're, you can still show up as a fitness model. I want to go back to that competition side of it, Kirsty. What were you being judged on? Was it on body type or was it like, so if you go to a CrossFit competition, it's like, you know, how many burpees can you do? How many pull-ups? All the things that CrossFit does. <laughs> yeah. What were you being judged on back at that time in the fitness industry? It was from an aesthetic standpoint. Yeah. So it was, uh, you're, you know, it was more of a fitness figure. So yeah. kind of that between a model and fitness model and then your performance. So you're competitive uh, in terms of dance, gymnastics as well. So. And so then you got out of that and then where did the wellness coach, performance coach, fitness coach start to show up for you? And was it right after that? How did that start to unfold for you? It's, uh, it was something that I, I, you know, I decided to do part-time and, um, it, I started at a really young age, you know, I was, uh, working at a gym part-time and, you know, really trying to figure out, you know, I have this degree, I have my kinesiology degree. And I, I just really connected with people and, you know, through, I think word of mouth referral, just, I just started, you know, building up my client uh, list. And then I decided, you know, I didn't really, in terms of the, the gym industry, I just I say I was, I didn't like how things were being done um, and how it was so focused on just sales and, and, and getting people to buy into personal training. And then you see them fall off and, you know, um, and I wanted to do it on my own. So that's when I decided to take my, my own hands and I wanted to become an entrepreneur and start my own business. So I started working with people um, in their homes and then I started to travel. And then through word of mouth, I was working with celebrities. I was traveling to California and I was just having a lot of fun doing what I loved. And I think, you know, that was really, I wanted to empower people and I was really passionate about helping other people. And I liked the challenge of working with such a diverse range of clientele. I was just really good at it. And I, I didn't focus on the money side of it. And it was just because I was passionate about it. And that's when I started to become successful at it in terms of, you know, I was making really good money. I was young. I was in my you know early twenties. This was great. And that just led me to so many other avenues, um, in my industry, you know, from, 
magazines, articles, uh, contributing covers, um, working on infomercials, working with celebrities on set. Um, so it just, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> just led to so many. Yeah. I mean, you had an idealism, which is often how many entrepreneurs start. They have an idealism in an industry or in a, in a way of doing things and they're going, I'm going to do it my way. And that's what I'm going to, and I'm going to drive and sell. Right. And, and you were saying that you weren't doing it for the money and, and you were passionate about it. What were you passionate about? Because I look at it, you know, it, when you talk about an intention, so once, once again, I go back to the performance clinic and when you think about what Alan spoke of, which is what is, what was your intention really? What difference were you trying to make to the industry or what difference were you trying to make to your clients? Like, how did you look at it from that perspective? Yeah, I was, you know, trying to help people in, in terms of a lot of the time. And I know in the health and fitness industry, it can be very, you know, you, you become so inundated with so much media and trends um, about, you know, different diets and what you should do. And I think a lot of people, you know, that, that becomes a challenge for them. And I wanted to be able to be that person that they could go to based on sci real science, but also you had, I think the art for me of coaching is understanding where the client is first, before you give them a program and say, Hey, this is my method. This program works, you know, sounding like an infomercial. And I've always steered like avoided that because I wanted to be able to take someone through the actual habit formation of their life and actually dig deep into what is it that they need to do based on their specific goals and their lifestyle. And a lot of the time we just, you know, you can find any program on the, on the internet, you can find programs through social media, it's diet, this, and it really comes to the art of understanding your client and to, for them to be and feel inspired by you. So that comes from, you know, in, a, in the coaching world, you know, I often, my own view of it is that you, I refer to it with coaching. You enter the conversation where they are and take them on the journey to where you can see them going and what you where see they where they yeah. want to be. But you have to enter the conversation where they're at. Exactly. And especially, and it, and so do you see the, uh, the psychology of it? And I, I guess I don't know if psychology is the right word, but when you look at the mental aspect of the game of nutrition, eating right, fitness. I mean, it's one thing to be inspired by, you know, the death of a loved one or the, the, the scare of a heart attack or whatever that might be. But when you look into people's habits, when you consider what they have going on around nutrition, is that part of the conversation that you have them look at and say, you know, what is it about food that you're attracted to, or why do you eat so much? Do you, do you get into the, the, the mental aspect of that game as well? Yep. The mental aspect is everything, whether it's emotional triggers, whether they're, they're dieting to achieve a certain body weight, you have to really dig deep and assess the client as to, you know, what are these triggers? What's happening from a mental standpoint? And I think so much we focus on the what to do as opposed to how to prepare from a mental standpoint, the mental exercising, the mental muscle. Mm -hmm as opposed to just the diet or the nutrition in terms of sustainability that they can actually long-term, they can actually follow. When it comes to coaching clients, um, it, it definitely comes down to where they're at in terms of their mindset. And, you know, like I said, a lot of the time 
coaches or, you know, will, or trainers will focus on, you know, this is the program that you need to do while neglecting where they are in their lifestyle. And you really have to assess currently their habits in order to get more to where they want to be. Um, that, and for most people, that's the challenge. It, it comes to the, the habits, the change, you know, and a lot of the time it's, it's a short-term fix or I followed this program for a few weeks and, you know, I've lost 20 pounds and it's a quick fix. Um, and then all of a sudden they put back on the weight and potentially even more. And you've seen that. It's interesting because, uh, uh I don't know if you ever followed the biggest loser. Yeah, I did. As a matter of fact, yeah. I heard story, I, I mean, all rumors and gossip, but I mean, I heard lots yeah. of stories about in behind the scenes, there's some pretty dark stuff going on with that whole show around diets and, and what it did and didn't do. So, well, I'll tell you something. I, 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 I'm actually proud to admit this, but, uh, <laughs> I actually tried out for the biggest loser years and years ago. I don't know. It was in my twenties and I'll tell you, why I didn't get it. I wasn't, wasn't mean enough. <laughs> Oh, really? You had to, oh, you had to be, you had to be really hard ass. But I'm, I'm, I was tough when it came to coaching and, and training, but you can't be like that with every client because then you're going to scare clients away and, you know, you want them to feel the sense of accomplishment. And I think, um, you know, but anyway, so my point about the biggest loser was that a lot of the, um, the success stories that come off that show, they end up putting on the weight because, you know, it's so extreme. And of course, when you're, that's your environment for months and you know, you don't have to, you don't have any interruptions through with work or like real life is not happening. Right. Yeah. So, so what, where are you at and what's your view of, you know, uh, certain diets? Like, so of course, keto is a big, one of the big things on uh, going on today, you know, high protein, no carbs, moderate carbs, you know, uh-huh. moderate protein, lots of fat. I mean, what, where do you live in, in, in the world of diet and nutrition overall? Do you have a, a stand that you take around to Christy? Yeah. Well, I tend not to use, uh, I would say more of a, in terms of nutrition, I don't really like to use the term diet, but you know, it really comes down to everyone's biochemistry is different. You know, the way that we break down foods, the way that we metabolize them. And so I've never really then fixate on certain diets. It's really ultimately what works for you. And I know that sounds really boring, but, um, (laughs) I know it really does come down to, for me, for science to science. And generally when it comes to my nutrition or clients, you know, I, I promote more of an alkaline eating. So foods that aren't acidic, that don't cause cancer or inflammation in the gut. Um, you know, give me, me, so are you, are what, okay. So let's stop there for a second because there's, you know, there's certainly some value in that conversation about, you know, alkaline and what is acidic uh-huh. and what's not. So are you vegan or are you, are you pro meat, you know, con meat? What's where, where are you in that world? And, and how do you, how do you view it nutritionally? Yeah, I definitely adopt more of a plant-based sure. uh, diet. So, uh, you know, I'll have the occasional, uh, protein chicken or something like that, but generally plant-based, you know, more because plant-based, you have more active enzymes. Enzymes are, the catalysts, they're not, you know, they're not processed foods. So it, it actually helps your body to metabolize foods, to, uh, to produce energy, cellular repair, recovery. And that really comes from an alkaline diet, more of an alkaline. And I, I don't want to say extreme alkaline, you know, more pH balance. Um, our body runs from a pH scale zero to 14. And generally 
you can test your pH, um, which I recommend, uh, which whether it's through, uh, the most effective is probably through your urine just to see kind of where you're at, but that can change throughout the day, depending on the foods you've been eating, but you want to stay, I would say in the 6.8 to 7.0 range. And there it's very easy to access a alkaline food list, of non-acidic foods, acidic foods, and try to incorporate more of those foods into your eating habits and it's functional nutrition. You know, and it's like when you look at these foods or these low sugar, or there's aspartame or processed foods or low calorie or diet coats or sodas, things like that. But what ends up happening, your body doesn't know what to do with it because there aren't any enzymes. And so these foods and uh, beverages are not being metabolized. And so what happens is your body starts to store them as undigested toxins. And that just sits and ferments in your system. And people are shocked by that. They're like, what do you mean? I, I look slim. I'm like, yeah, but you know, if you're having digestive issues or you, know, you could have bacteria you know, it's like, or gut issues, they don't understand that there's, there's all these chemicals or toxins stuck in their body, basically. You know, you, you said a couple things that uh, is interesting. Number one, you know, pH, you, you, can, you can buy strips that are, are actually pretty effective. At least it's something, yeah. an indicator, and they're great. You can buy them at a... Uh, pharmacy for a, a few bucks and you know all you're doing is doing yeah. a saliva or test or a urine yeah. test whatever you want to do because I live in that world so you know I've trained at different levels over the years and you know from running marathons and physique and really being aware body fat I've done all of that stuff you know I sit here today at 60 I still train I still work out I still pay attention to what I eat I, I you know to me drinking Coke is just not what you want to do. You know, drinking carbonated right. drinks like that is just stay the hell away. One question I have around you and around uh, pH and, you know, acidic and where are you on the water? I'm a big water guy, I, you know, hydration, mm -hmm. you know, Stephanie and I are that way, but we also have, you know, specific, uh, you know, machines for water. So we happen to use a Kangen, which is, is great. And we run our water at we're, so we're very aware of that. What, what's your what's your view of that? Because people don't actually have this conversation enough. To your point, they're often talking about, "Well, I'm slim, my weight is right," but that doesn't mean you're healthy. It's just exactly you know, it's just one yeah. part of the overhaul thing. And I just based on your research and all the work that you do, where are you on the waterfront when it comes to great water? Yeah, well, I I actually I right now I've got my it sounds like a brand sponsorship, but it's not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have my alkaline flow water with me. Um, I definitely drink more alkaline water. And also, um, you know, we did this campaign uh, with Adidas and it was uh, called Parlay. And it's about all the plastic pollution in the water. So we do all these charity events, uh, you know, running, um, things like that. And to support this charitable organization, which talks, uh, talks about plastic. And so a lot of, you know, I drink we drink water, like you'll see, like even at head office at Adidas, like everyone drinks from plant-based material, you know, carbon. It's, sure. You're not drinking from plastic and, and alkaline water. And um, so for me, water is a, is a, a, a very major factor and influence on how your body digests, your hydration, anything from regulating your heart rate, you know, and, and getting toxins out of your system. It's a natural way to help push out the toxins. You know, the, the value in this conversation, and, and I hope listeners really get it, is you can't, water is so incredibly important. So I sit here today, you know, uh, we're on the Zoom call and we're having this conversation and I, and especially recently, um, I'm really into, you know, hot lemon water. I put a half a teaspoon of, of uh, unpasteurized honey in it and then I add 
a half a teaspoon of cinnamon to it. And it's unbelievable the difference, the impact that has had on my body. It's not uh-huh. only, it's it's a bit of a uh, an appetite suppressant, but right. I, but even joint Did you say in, mental clarity and focus. Oh, well? huge! Yeah. As yeah, a matter of fact, so I've, I've almost all but stopped needing a cup of coffee because it's the first thing I have in the morning. I know. You know, it's 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 yeah, actually I remarkable. I couldn't even recommend that enough. And you know, you get your variation of taste, but I I, I like lemon. We use you know we you use do. raw lemons yeah. and 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 some a little bit of honey and. And I manage the honey, but, and I love great, great cinnamon. Yeah. It's like, it's, yeah, it's amazing. It's definitely, you're right. It's definitely a game changer. And I think and a lot of people, it's like, oh, I have to keep drinking water and it has no taste. But like you said, you know, you can infuse it with whether you have fruit or lemon or, and also a lot of foods, um, certain, you know, and I always say to opt for more low glycemics, like low sugar fruits, a lot of foods, and we call this volumetric. So they're high in density in terms of water. You also can get your hydration from a lot of foods too, as water. So, sure, you know, but uh, generally you want to stick to at least, I mean, I'd say on average, you should be at least drinking two liters a day. And if you're an athlete or you're a fitness enthusiast, of course, your intake would be a lot higher. Far more. I mean, I can drink two liters of water just in a workout, you know, in, yeah, the, exactly. in, in the gym. Yeah, exactly. I do too. Yeah. yeah. Um, You'd be surprised. Most people can't even drink one. So it's, it, but it, I find it, you know, so for me, I love, I'll drink, you know, a minimum of a liter, often two liters of water. And it's like, I have to have it during my workout. It's actually what is part of, it's so, such an integral part of my workout. Now, I don't want to digress down this whole conversation. Uh, I told you when we got on the call, this could go a lot of different places, but I think there's lots of value <laughs> for listeners in terms of understanding the health and fitness, the impact that you have. Like you said, you know, simple thing like lemon water and cinnamon and honey, you know, adds mental clarity. It really shifts. It's it's okay. so, so impactful and powerful. And, and really as entrepreneurs, as business owners, as real estate investors, as you know, that's the game we play it really makes a difference to how you go through your day and the energy that you have and the impact that you can have uh, just with the clarity. So yeah, here's where I want to go with this. There's, this is very interesting for me because having been an individual who trains always, often, and, and I go through cycles, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll be off for actually for, I'll be active, but I won't be really training. But I want to talk to you. This is a discussion I've had with a couple of different people. The difference between fitness and wellness Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there's a, there seems to be a, a, and I'm generalizing, there seems to be a belief with some people that aren't maybe as educated yet that fitness goes hand in hand with wellness. So here's where I'm going with this. You know, I see yeah. people who are training seven days a week, <laughs> they, they're seven days a week, they're intense, they got great bodies, they're healthy, they're energetic, they're doing it all right. And that shuts some people down because they look at that and go, I'm just not willing to do that. And, you know, and I always share the story. My mother at 91 years old is still active. And, and one of the things that my mother did all her life was walked. And she did some yoga early on in the years, back in the days when yoga was definitely not cool, but she did that. But she, (laughs) but she's, she still walks to this day at 91 years old and she has a walker now, but she's still out there walking. So that's the difference between health and wellness and fitness. And so you don't have to be that guy that said CrossFit. And if you're fired up for that, that's awesome. But ultimately Mm -hmm. get out and walk four or five days a week, 45 minutes, 
Give me, mm-hmm. give me your view of that world. That's my view of the world. You know. Oh yeah, definitely. I love this question. Um, and this is actually, uh, you know, it was very interesting because when we launched a campaign, um, and I represent the campaign in 2016 when it first launched for Adidas. And like when you think, and this goes back to your question, is when you think of uh, Adidas, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Do you think, you know, athletics? Do you think sports performance? Is that what you think? For me, Adidas, uh, although it. It uh, because I, I'm in a different industry. I'm in a hockey industry, so Adidas shows up for okay. me in. That's okay. Though. That's okay. <laughs> there as well. But when I think Adidas, I, I got to be honest with you. I think about running shoes, and I do think about fitness and sport. Okay. Okay. So it was interesting because this campaign that we launched, um, and then they partnered with Wonderless, which, which is a worldwide event. And Adidas wanted to partner with a brand. We partnered with a brand, uh, Wonderless, because they bring in the mind, body, spirit. It's a multidimensional. And so Adidas was always known for sports, um, fitness. And if you look at the definition of fitness, it's interesting. It's the definition is being physically fit and healthy. That is the true definition of fitness. But we wanted to emphasize that through our campaigns of the multidimensional approach. And so when you talk about wellness and fitness, wellness is now a term that you hear all the time. And the fitness has kind of taken a little bit of a backseat because now people are understanding that it's multidimensional. You know, it's the spiritual, it's meditation. They have uh, even meditation is is has a not only just a psychological effect, but also has a physiological effect on your body at re- reducing stress, your hormone cortisol. And in fact, you know, I've said to clients before in the past, I said, you know, if you're stressed and your your body, you're feeling drained, you're physically feeling drained it's actually probably more effective. Say, for example, your goals are to lose weight and you get stressed and you say, oh, I know I should do my cardio. I know I should do my workout on my CrossFit, whatever it may be. It's like, you know what? Maybe you should actually take the time out to do some meditation because that will still have an effect on your, your nervous system, your physiologic, from a physiological standpoint. And, um, and people don't understand that. So they're actually, you know, they're putting stress on their body. So multidimensional is so much more important. And I hate to say like balance. It's so cliche. Everyone uses balance, but it really is multidimensional. And, you know, fitness, being fit is physically, yes, fit, but also it's healthy, being healthy. You know, is your, is your heart fit? What a, what a great conversation. Be, you know, there, because when you think about fitness, you know, what showed up for me, even because you were talking about meditation and, and I'm a big fan of meditation and studied TM for many years, transcendental meditation and, um, now have all sorts of meditative meditative kind of ways and and to do it but mental fitness emotional fitness comes from that now when you talk about meditation uh kirsty is there a specific meditation that you uh that you provide your clients in terms of are they guided meditations do you have recommendations for people around meditations yeah i do and um i started meditating i would say about two and a half years ago. And, you know, it can be challenging, especially if you're a beginner and you're, you know, you know, when you're used to always being active and you've got to do things and you're always moving and you're, you know, you've got your business, you're rushing, you're traveling from meeting to meeting, but, um, just to stay focused and be present. Uh, so when I first started meditating, that was, that was a challenge for me, but what really helped me and guided me was the, um, and I think, you know, there's something that works for everyone. Uh, depending on, you know, whether you're a beginner or you want something more intense. I did the Deepak Chopra, uh, mm-hmm. with Oprah meditation and it was, uh. it was, uh, no strings attached. So it was like a 21 day free trial. Loved it. Um, 
but it definitely, I started to see the results after 21 days and, uh, you know, and it was just, I would be doing, cause I was expecting results right after the first meditation. I was like, okay, I can, now I'm going to, you know, really, I'm going to perceive things differently. It's going to be a game changer and I'm going to see the transformation happen. Well, it doesn't really work like that. And I started to notice just in my day-to-day life, like how I was reacting to things, um, you know, driving in traffic, you know, I wasn't, you know, sticking up my middle finger and getting mad <laughs> at people. Sure. Just, it's just yeah. your reactions, you know, yeah. um, taps into your subconscious you know, you start to perceive things differently and look at things differently. So there's a, there's, there's so much power in meditation. You know, I've, when I talk to people about meditation and have the conversation, you know, sometimes their responses, you know, my brain's way too busy for meditation. I can't meditate. Uh And there's an, there's an expectation that all of a sudden, you know, to be in meditation, you can't be thinking. And, and that the first time you meditate, it is uncomfortable because you're, you're alone with your thoughts. Yeah. And your thoughts are coming and going. And so because of my own background in meditation, it's if you're listening to this and you're considering meditation and you're one of those people that don't think you can quiet your mind, really the trick is going, sticking with it to what you said, Kirsty, which is, you yeah. know, you start at 21 days and, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden all of that clutter starts to go away. Your does. mind does start to, you're processing, you're unloading. It's, it's actually the power of journaling when you're writing things down. I always say it's like clearing your hard drive. You're actually no longer needing to carry it in the hard drive right. if you've got it written down. Your brain does that for you. You don't have to even think about that. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's the meditation. So do you, do you meditate daily, five days a week? How, how consistent yeah, are you with it? I, I do meditate daily. Um, you know, even if it's a shorter, you know, generally my longest session regularly would be 20 minutes. But, um, you know, even if it's just 10 minutes, it's the first thing I would do in the morning. I thought, you know, if I can you know, if my schedule is I work out every morning, then I'm going to have to start to allow myself to adapt to this and meditate the first thing that I do. And it really just clears your mind. Um, and you know, and I, I don't look at my phone. I don't check my emails, you know, that can all wait till I've done my meditation. And even just five minutes is beneficial. Um, you bring up a really good point. And um, for me, meditation in the morning, I sit up in bed. I'm an early riser anyway, so um, I'm fortunate generally that way. But I sit up in bed. I, I don't have my phone ever in my bedroom, ever. That's, That's a, yes, I not even that. <laughs> the, just stay the hell out. I don't have my TV. We don't have any, you know, uh, electronics in our room. Uh-huh. And then I do my That's meditation great. in the morning. But actually, Leon Taylor, who you may have run across, he's a, an Olympic swimmer for uh, Great yeah. Britain. And uh, he was on the show. And one of the things that he said, to your point, you know, even if it's a five-minute meditation, he actually, because you're busy. We got, we all got lives going on. Lots of people say, I don't have time for meditation. And the reality is, is that the more you meditate, you realize how much more time you actually have for it. But Leon said, he shared something with me that I I really took to the bank in, in terms of training because people say, well, I fall out of the habit of training. And he said, yeah, I'm busy too. But he said, the one thing I'll always have time for is a downward dog. And he said, if that's all I've got time for, what I'm telling my body that I'm doing that day is working out. I still created the space for it, even if it's a two-minute downward dog stretch. It's actually wiring my brain and my body that I still worked out. So the habit doesn't go away. Yes, yes. And so, what? Give me. Do you have a thought process around that? You know, Kirsty, because I I thought, wow, that's so Mm -hmm. smart. You know, mm-hmm. you're not falling off the habit. It just wasn't an hour exactly. workout or a half hour workout. 
Exactly. And I think that's where a lot of people can become, or they start to feel discouraged because, you know, life is going to happen, you know, and even with the perfect plan and workout schedule, and I'm going to do it Monday, Wednesday at this time, you know, life will happen. And so, you know, and we talk about that when it comes to, you know, having that, you know, like a backup plan. And instead of feeling, you know, that, uh, you know, having those expectations of yourself to always having to commit to a certain amount of time, it's if you can just, and I always say, especially to someone that's overwhelmed or has a really busy schedule is to just exercise the habits, whether it's showing up for 20 minutes, whether it's like you said, doing a downward dog for, you know, one or two minutes or stretching that actually takes precedence over having to feel like I had to do an hour or I had to, you know, do that intense session and make it to that class. Just that sense of accomplishment to feel like you've done it starts to, and I, we use this actually, I don't know if you've heard of the term, uh, when it comes to training, I'm sure you probably have periodization. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So these are, you know, various cycles that, um, as a coach or whether you're, you know, a fitness enthusiast, uh, or a professional athlete, you need to go through various cycles in order for your body from a physiological standpoint to adapt to that new stimulus. So whether it be a new cardio program, a new workout, and there's different cycles. Um, and I could get all into that science, but you know, before losing someone, um, it also applies to your, from a mental standpoint that you, you're, you mentally nearly adapt as well. And that takes a habit formation. So you're allowing your body through time to also nearly adapt. And a lot of people, you know, they don't acknowledge that. It's always just my body's got to change. I've got to do this. But by exercising that and allowing your, from a mental standpoint, to nearly adapt to that, you're rewiring your brain. You're actually now implementing these new habits that start to become more sustainable over time. Instead of always feeling like you have to do, you know, accomplish the most perfect program or having to turn out for a certain amount of time it's more important to actually exercise the habit, as you say. I love that term. I've I've actually never had heard that term, exercise the habit. That's so perfect. And it may not look like a one-hour workout. We were talking, you and I had spoke earlier just before uh, firing things up about travel and uh, coming back from Toronto and a three-hour flight delay. And I mean, that really wreaks havoc. You know, I'm coming from Toronto to Vancouver. I've got a time zone change of three hours. I've delayed three hours. You know, there's your body starts to have it has an impact Mm -hmm. physiologically on you as well as, you know, your diet. What are you eating? What do you you know? At that point, I'm going, I just need to get some food in my body. So, you know, you you, you know, you you, I don't eat the way I would normally want to eat. And then you'd go down this whole path. And but if you exercise the habit, which is to say, in spite of all of that, do some movement, do some exercise, connect your body to the habit and your your brain Mm -hmm. to the habit. That's a Love that concept, by the way. Thank you. That's very and cool. you know, and it's true. It's exactly what you say. You know, it's uh, you know, life happens. You have delays, or you're stuck at the airport, like me, when you have an hour flight, but it's you know, you're delayed for seven hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> good times. Um, yeah. Winter storms. Canada, love you. Uh, <laughs> but um, it, you know, it's you look at areas of okay, all right. So this didn't go as planned. Okay, fine. So. And that's another term we use in prioritization because, you know, it's the preparation, it's, um, it's the action. So the performance, it's the recovery. 
and you have to have a backup plan. So whether, for example, a professional athlete has an injury or, you know, or for someone that's trying to get a workout in, but they, they can't because they've been up all night or they've gotten, you know, they're stuck at the airport and they, they can't get that early morning workout in. So I say, look at areas of focus. So if exercise is not going to be your focus because you can't get in and because for whatever reason, it's the kids, it's your schedule, work, meeting, something's come up. Now, just maybe your new area of focus should be maybe now more of your nutrition in terms of, you know, because uh, sometimes we say, oh, I'm going to work out. So I could probably like, I could eat this more, eat that more. And you're just more relaxed about it. Um, and I always think you should have a healthy relationship with food regardless, but you know, if you're not able to get the workout in, then your new area of focus would be your nutrition. So maybe I'm just going to focus on eating healthier or, you know, uh, just like limit my portions a little bit more, you know, and there's just, yeah. just like a backup plan. That's kind of what I do. You know, I don't, I used to stress about it. I was like, I'm not going to stress about it. I, okay, fine. I can't work out, but it's not going to make or break, you know, your goals. Um, I think a lot of the time we're attached to the outcome and, you know, and you have to really stay committed to the process. Love that. I'm going to go off in a whole other direction because, you know, I go back to mental fitness and, you know, given busy lives, given the environment, the culture, I want to talk to you. And because you're in it, I want to know what your view of social media is because you are, you, you know, you're a social media presence. I mean, you've got a large following, uh, your Instagram, you're, you're constantly in the, the public view of the world. And I'm sure in all of that, you've got your fans. Awesome. 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 But I'm sure in a lot of that, there's, there's probably some judgment that comes along with it. Of course. And, and, you know, there's always the trolls, there's always the haters, <laughs> Of you know, how do you, how do you deal with that aspect of it? Because I go, you know, when, when I, and I know that we've got parents that listen to this show, lots of parents and, but there's lots of young people. How do you balance the social media of it? Because you've always been in a, you've put yourself in a position of judgment a lot, you know, mm -hmm. when you were a model, when you were in the fitness world, now you're on the social media, you're doing, you know, your brand ambassador, you're doing all of these things. You're really out in the public space right. in a, in a, in a world that is judging, you know, Kirsty Dunn for right. also how you show up, how you look, uh, how fit are you? What are you doing? How do you create context or space or stability in that in that social media sphere, given what you're doing and who you are in that space? Like, is, is it, it is a challenge for you? Does it beat you up mentally? Because I see kids all the time. I mean, not just kids, social media to me has become an addiction. It's become the biggest addiction in our world yeah, yeah. and everybody's measuring themselves. Here's, I guess, really where I wanted to go at that point. It took me a while to get there sometimes. It creates a world where people are comparing themselves to moments in time, like split seconds. Right of time of some view of the world that was taken in a picture, which is actually not the reality. It was a reality for that split second, but thereafter it wasn't. So because you're in that social media space, I'd like to hear from you about, about that. You know, well, the first thing, and, you know, through years of being in social media, um, the first question I asked myself when it comes to that, and I'll get to, um, you know, your, your question is that, is what I'm doing through my social media channels, is it making an impact at the end of the day? And I, I sometimes, and I'll, you know, I'll be honest, like there's times where you have to go, oh, and you stop and you go, you know, does that really, I mean, is that really relevant? Do I need to, to show that? And, and I've never been one to, to, you know, show off a lifestyle or it's, 
for me, it's like, what, what's the purpose behind what I'm doing? And it doesn't always have to be like that because you also want to show the, the authentic side of you. This is my life. This is how I live. And that's how you really connect with people and engage people. You know, and, and you can either go to one extreme to the other. It can be, you know, here's my life um, and, and everyone knows all about it. Or it can be more of a, you know, I just want to make an impact. I want to share my expertise, my experience. And that's where I'm at when it comes to social media. Even just having this interview with you has really opened me up to sharing more of that and my personal struggles, which I don't think people really see that in general so much through social media. And I agree with what you say because, you know, you can take a trip and it's like you look all elegant and you're, you know, you've got you know, we're, we're girls. We know this. We take like 40 pictures and we choose the best one (laughs) and we put it on there. And, you know, and that, that's not as relatable. And I think, and the truth is not everyone's going to like you and and that's just it. And it's really, it's, it's just, who's going to connect with you based on who you are, you know, and if people don't connect with you and then hopefully they'll connect with someone else that can help them through their journey, whatever that may be. To your point is that, you know, because you've got a public profile and, you know, the opportunity to show up in an authentic way, you know, share your story about your stepfather, because aside from this public image, this world that we live in, where people see us and assess us for who we are on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever other social media, the reality of it is, is that beneath all of that, there's life. There's family, there's friends, there's all of the trials and tribulations of business. There's the, you know, the cool things that are happening in life. And there's the tragedies that are happening in life because that is just how it goes. And, you know, Mike, one of the reasons, you know, many reasons I wanted you on the show, because I think this is just a great conversation to be having and you've got so much depth of experience. Yeah. It really is about you show up to your point in a really authentic way. And as much as your social media, that's the life you live. You actually, you know, you, you walk your talk, you you train, you, you think you're passionate about it. You study it, you share your message with the world. Uh, you know, the fact that you get paid well for it and that you're brand ambassador, that's just a really cool aspect of what it is. Now, did you get to, have you just recently, I, I, I don't know how I want to ask this question, but you know, you show up and you showed up for me when I first met you as just being really authentic, really genuine, yeah. you know, and, and, but that could be misconstrued given your background. Yeah. You know, you could, I mean, you're, you're young, you're beautiful, you're blonde, your social media, that could show up as inauthentic. How do you deal with that? Or I don't even know if that's a fair question, but how have you reconciled all that, Kirsty? Yeah, it's, I, I, you know, I'll admit it. It, it definitely has, been a challenge for me through my industry. And this is what I often hear when I meet someone in person. It's, oh my goodness, I, I didn't know you were so down to earth and so sweet. And I go, hmm, this is interesting because if there's to some extent, this is the image that that person might see, you know, there needs to be a shift there. Or maybe I need to, there's something that I'm not doing that I should be doing. And I do hear that quite a bit. And I am the most, honestly, <laughs> the most, uh, I'm just like everyone else. You know, I, I, I'll, uh, like the other night I just, I had a craving, I ordered pizza and I ate it and I'm proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> and do I, do I show that on social media? No, but I'm like, maybe I should, you know, and sure. it's just like, you, you, you start to question yourself about these things. It's like, no. And, and then I look and I think 
and I'm sure for parents and their kids and their young kids, it's like, I think when you're young also, it's that pressure to, you know, and I know for girls, it's, you know, someone's who's got the most followers and, and they're, they're trying to be someone sometimes that they're not to get certain attention. Mm-hmm. And that's where it can start to, that's where it can start to create image, like issues and problems going down that path. And, you know, I always get, I mean, even myself, just knowing the industry and the social media is that I would be very scared for my daughter to have social media. And it's, you, you really do ultimately, you have to have those conversations with your kids about it because, you know, I found myself even thinking, Oh, maybe I should just do this because like, they seem to be getting a lot of uh, uh, likes or engagement, or maybe I need to be more, a little bit more crazy or show that crazy side. And I was just like, yeah, but that's not really me. So I guess you're growing into your, you know, the fact that you are very, very much in the public, you put yourself out there and I'm sure there's risks that you're taking. Would that be fair to share who you really are to be okay? Cause I think you said it earlier is that not everybody's going to like you, but I think the important lesson in there is, is that the more authentic you're going to be, the more you're going to attract people of like mind yeah, who find your share your values. <laughs> you'll find your tribe, you'll create your tribe and you'll, exactly. you'll create exactly. it all. When you, you lost your father to uh, brain cancer, which is, you know, for me, is it's really dear to my heart because I lost actually two sisters and an uncle to brain cancer. Now, when you look at health and I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, how much do you think in your your stepfather's case play how much do you think of it was based on nutrition do you think that something like brain cancer i don't know if that's where it, that was the originating cancer if it came from you know if it metastasized what happened in behind the scenes but how much do you think was that the effect of your your father's lifestyle whether it be diet or or overwork or what it, whatever it might be no, how do yeah, you where no. you, where are you at with what your thoughts on that did you do some research on it afterwards yeah, I, I did. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know the facts. I don't know, you know, from, uh, but what I do know is that he, I think that that contribute. I think the, also the, the maintenance or the, the health checks, I mean, he could have caught it earlier and that comes down to your wellness, your health and, um, you know, self-care, mm. um, as well he, you know, I think the, the lack of sleep, uh, poor sleep patterns, overworking stress definitely didn't help from a cellular standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, which obviously affects, um, you know, cancer and that's where cancer starts to grow. But, um, he, he, he didn't live a healthy lifestyle. So mm-hmm. I, I definitely knew that was a major uh, contributor. Factor. You, you felt contributor. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, and like I said, I think, you know, even it's not just about going to the gym and, and, just eating right foods. It's also that self-care is in, are you getting proper health checks or preventative measures, you know, uh, doing research in your, in your family's uh, medical history. Um, and, and it back, you know, and back then, I mean, this was 15 years ago, you know, and I think like, you know, talk about the baby boomers, they weren't, he wasn't focused. Like he didn't take that, those measures on his health. He, he didn't come first, his self-care. And that's really important that people do. So important. And, you know, the, you know, the fact that, you know, the, the, the podcast, the Everyday Millionaire and, and the journey to achieving those kinds of results can't come at the cost of your health because it ultimately yeah. it doesn't matter how much wealth you have. It is almost cliche, but you have to remain healthy. And, you know, what I'm picking up, if I'm recapping even some of the conversations that we've had today is, 
it's not just about the physical and the nutritional, and it's also about the mental. It's about lifestyle, being really aware of what's going on. And I always say we owe it to our families. You know, as, as a parent, in my case, as a father, grandfather, I believe I owe it right. to my family to yeah. To, so if I can't make it about myself, I can at least <laughs> I can at least make it about I owe it to my my daughter and my yeah, grandchildren definitely. and my wife. You know, that's how I kind of look at it to look after myself. Yeah. And uh, yeah, definitely. So the cancer conversation is so I mean, it's it's when it comes to lifestyle and, and health, it's, it's just such a big one because it impacts people. Uh, gosh, I just don't know anybody that hasn't been impacted by cancer. Yet we sit here. I sit here with you and your expertise in fitness and nutrition and, and I know from my own experience as well is the mental aspect of our health, you know, the metaphysical, our stress levels or how you manage stress or not manage stress or how you take things on, uh, it manifests itself physically. And I'm sure you've witnessed that many times with your clients. Oh, I, I know with clients, um, I know from, you know, a personal standpoint of being so stressed out and it's like that fight or flight, you know, sometimes we'd have, you know, these major events coming up or, you know, our campaigns, it's like work, 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 and you're on it 24 seven. And then when you have that time to, to relax, like every time I know I would get sick, my, like my immune system would just shut down. And I've just, you know, I've learned to fine tune that and find that balance. And sometimes it's not always going to be the perfect balance. Right. But, um, that's why you kind of have to have that game plan in place and that backup plan and, you know, what will I do when these things happen and what's, you know, what will I put first? And yeah, I think that's where sometimes I used to go wrong in the past is, you know, it was just got to get that workout in. And I was like, no, I probably should just get my sleep that I need hydrate. You know, I'll get better results if I allow my body to rest than if I just push myself. So I think people need to, to not be so hard on themselves when it comes to those things. And you know, I think we put those expectations on ourselves because a lot of people are, especially if you're an overachiever, you know, I've always been, um, of the belief that if we don't listen to our body, our bodies just turn up the volume yeah, and pretty soon it eventually shuts us down. And that can show up as a cold or the flu, whatever illness it might show up as where you're Definitely. actually, yeah. you, you know, it's, you know, the body's whispering to you, slow down, settle down, yeah. quit eating that way. And we don't listen to it. And it ultimately, the body's a pretty powerful thing. It's complex and it goes, okay, you're not listening to me. That's <laughs> just going to shut you down. Yeah, no, definitely. It, it's amazing. I mean, how stress can cause cancer. <laughs> yeah. It's you know, bottom line. it's like, it is. So you have to manage the stress because, you know, and, and it's just, it's, it's amazing. I love how today it's, there's so much more focus and there's been a shift in the fitness industry to mental health and mental performance, yeah. and meditation, you know. What do you, in, in your accomplishments, because you've worked with stars and, and you know, some big players in, in, in the world of sports, but when you look at what you've accomplished, because you have, a, you know, you're competitive by nature, um, but you're also very uh, lit up by what you do. When you look at some of your milestones, is there some things that have really landed for you that you can just that you're just really proud of? What is it that you've achieved? I don't even want to say achieved, but what is it where you've evolved to or have accomplished that you're just really, really proud of and, and uh, feel good about yourself in that regard? Uh, you know, I would say it's been such a journey for me. Um, I would say I'm more proud of the fact that 
you know, you have to constantly, and as an entrepreneur, you know, and in the health and fitness industry, there's so many aspects of my industry. It's whether you're coaching, whether you're working with brands as a brand ambassador. For me, it's always about, I'm proud of the, I've been able to actually, you know, work with brands or companies or it's the, I think the create from a creator standpoint, you're always having to, for me, identify a gap in the market. And by identifying that gap is like, how do I channel a wellness initiative into people's lives or the culture of a brand that someone else hasn't done? And I'm really proud of that, that I've had success off of being able to just be fearless and design the life that I want to live and not, not work to live. And I think that's where, you know, when we go back to my stepfather who, you know, he worked to live and that was his life and he didn't, it wasn't about self-care. And I know it's easy for me to say, and you know, because this is my expertise, this is my industry. And of course it's easy for me to live a healthy lifestyle workout because this, I know this, this is what I do. But I also understand that there's, there's people out there that, you know, that's not their life. It's not their, it's not their trade. It's not what they do. And so I'm always searching for, you know, those opportunities that other brands or people can't see, you know, and to help change people's lives. And I've, I've been really, I think I'm proud of that because I've, I've been able to go to brands like Adidas and, and work with them and to build a community, help them, you know, expand and build that community. Um, within their brand to, you know, you're creating a brand story, you're, you're connecting with people and community is everything. And I think that's, you know, I'm ultimately, that's what I'm proud of as, as an entrepreneur. It's not easy. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's always changing and there's, there's competition. Competition is good, but you can't let that discourage you and you have to believe in yourself. And I've, you know, there's times where of course we, we quest, you know, we, we question ourselves and, and, you know, but you have to, you really have to, you, you have those thoughts and those things kind of, you know, run through your mind and you want to block them out. And I think for me, that's also what meditation has been so good because there are days where sometimes, yeah, you might not believe in yourself or something happens or, you know, but you learn to be more resilient and, and really endure that journey. You use the word, you, you know, fearless. And can you think of a time uh, or can you share a time, Kirsty, that you, you were really like just freaking out afraid of something that you bust through that fear wall and came out the other side and went, I did it. And holy shit, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was, or maybe it was, <laughs> you know, maybe, it was, maybe it was worse. I don't know. Is there, is there, I don't want to, I don't want to put you on the spot. I don't want to put you on the spot, but is there, is there a time where you would share, you know, just where fearless had to step up and be in, I mean, given you know, yeah. the industry and given what you've done in your life, uh, is there something that you would share? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think there's, there's many aspects of that I could share where I was like, Oh my goodness, this is scary. But I, I love that because I know that's where, that's how we evolve. That's how we change. That's how we grow. And I know that, and we all know, unless that's a really bad idea, <laughs> but, but, but you know, for me, it's, if I get uncomfortable, I know this is a good thing. And I think for me being fearless, is being able to, you know, I've never waited for opportunities to necessarily come to me. And eventually, you know, they do, sometimes you do have opportunities come to you, but for me, it's always been, you know, go after them and be fearless. And, you know, whether you're meeting with, in my industry, the, the you know, the 
CEO of a, a major brand and you're like, and you're pitching them something and you're proposing something, you know, you have to be able to, when you're committed, I think, or sorry, not committed so much to the process, but when you're attached to the outcome or you have to be able to handle rejection. And it, it's scary because, you know, often it happens and, you know, that's where you become more resilient. But I think for me, it was just being able to be fearless and just say, you know what, I believe in what I'm doing. I believe. And because of you attach that to your purpose driven mission. And when you never lose sight of that, mm. it's just, it's like, it just, if your intention is to go into something and say, Hey, I'm going to do this because it's for the money. And I, you know, and, but for me, it was like, no, I can, you know, this is how I can empower people. This is how I can make a brand or a company, how we can transform the lives of others. And this is what we need to do. And you believe in that, like there's just nothing that can stop you. And that's how, you know, for me, that's helped me become fearless. But there was a time when I was, it was like, whoa, I can't believe I'm doing this. But it was also exciting is getting up on stage in front of thousands of people at an Adidas event. And it was scary, you know, sure. um, you know, you're sitting up, you know, it's not that I wasn't used to being in front of people. I mean, I've taught major events before, but wow, here I am working with this incredible brand that, you know, that I've loved since I was a kid. And this is something I dreamt to do. And here I am. I'm kind of scared, but I kind of love it at the same time. That's so cool. And that's, you know, getting comfortable being uncomfortable is where I've grown the most. Has there been a fork in the road that you can look back on and say, I took this fork and I, you, you recognize it as a fork in the road and you can look at it and go, if I would have gone this way, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be here. Or if I, because in that moment in time, I had to make a choice. Is there a fork in the road? Cause that goes back to fearless, right? Where you say, there it is. So what, tell us, tell me a little bit about that. You know, there was a time where I almost changed careers and uh, a little snapshot, but I, I started a juice company about, uh, I'd say about eight years ago. And I was probably one of the second cold press juice companies to open here in Canada. And, you know, it was, it was an extension of what I did promoting, you know, healthy choices, beverages, juices. Um, I had a business partner at the time and she kind of left me high and dry. <laughs> mm. um, and I was left on my own with this company and, you know, became the jack of all trades from, from marketing to operations you know, and I learned a lot in that industry and I, I committed to it for, for, for a few years. It was doing really well, but you know, it all comes down to your team and management. And, you know, that was the breakdown in, in that experience. And I just felt when it didn't become as successful as hot as I had expected, you know, that was, you feel that kind of like sense of failure. And I just, I just said, you know, I, I need to take some time out. And that was the best thing I ever did. I, I took a year out of that industry and I said, you know what, I need to do other things. I need to figure out, you know, and I think I kind of got, I think my purpose, I got lost for a while in terms of, I was just focused on this. All of a sudden I was just in, in operations of the business and, and trying to sell. And I was just like, yeah, but wait a second. I want to make an impact in people's lives. I feel like I got lost for a while and maybe that's, and then when you lose that fire and that passion inside of you, um, you don't perform as well, you know? And so taking that time was the best thing I ever did because I almost changed careers and I almost got out of the health and fitness industry. 
but it was something so close to my heart and something I had done for so long. I just know, didn't know what direction to go in. Um, when I came back at it, I came back stronger, uh, you know, more confident and here I am today. <laughs> so th- that's great. So thanks for sharing that because it's uh, quite profound that, because I know I'm guilty of not taking time. So I transition quickly from one thing to the next. And uh, I've certainly paid a price for that over the years. And so, you know, the, the insight to transition to actually take some time to think about it is really yeah. powerful. And uh, it took me a long time to learn that lesson. And uh, so thank you for sharing that. Now, tell me a little bit about your routine. You know, you're a business owner, you're in the fitness industry, you do all of those things. Uh, are you primarily focused on a, like, do you have a, I suspect you have a morning routine. So you're up, you do your meditation, you may do your workout, you eat well, you do that, that stuff. Often I've gotten questions from my listeners and saying, Patrick, can you ask about an evening routine? So do you have an evening routine? Are you a, do you journal? Do you plan your next day before you go to bed? What's your routine around this stuff, Kirsty? Um, I generally, I like to, uh, journal my gratitude for the day. Um, you know, uh, things that I'm grateful for reflect on the day of my performance in terms of like how I was feeling, whether it's like from energy to, you know, did I accomplish the things that I wanted to get done and prepare for the next day. I'd like to take that time out in the evening. Uh, more importantly, it's, you know, prepare a healthy meal, take some time to myself. Um, and sometimes I even do yoga, just some stretches and breathing. I think we're just, you know, as much as it's second nature, obviously to breathe, I think sometimes when we're in our day-to-day busy schedule and life, we tense up, you know, it's, it's a good time to, to reflect, to breathe and just allow that rest and recovery. Yeah. I've, I've had many people share with me and I know myself, I've had to adopt the discipline of my phone is off. You know, like I put a do not disturb. I think not 9 PM is what I'm back to now is where yeah. I was letting it go too long. And then my brain would fire. And, and so preparing for sleep is a thing, you know, to your point, how do you slow your brain down, quit looking at blue light, you know, have a, have, you know, yes. have filters on yes. your, on your, you know, phones, et cetera. Uh, journaling is a way, uh, you know, a brief meditation. I think that, you know, you talked about gratitude and really getting grounded in your day. What was awesome about it? And, and I don't go on social media. Good for you. And no social media. No social media. <laughs> so important. You know, yeah. that's an addiction. I, you know, something I know. I've really, re- and I'm, I, I'm not a big participant in social media. Like I'll Facebook, I'll do some likes and I don't post a ton of stuff. I'm, I'm not built that way. And, um, even with, with my podcast, which is not necessarily the smart thing for me to do, by the way, but that's just the way it is today. And and that may shift. But my point is, is that, is that it is such an addiction to be looking at social media. And I recently saw a stat that blew my mind away that people are looking at their phones 20 up to 2,600 times a day is the average. And I'm going, that is unbelievable. I I know. Blows my mind. Do you ever get the updates on the, how many hours you spend? No. On your okay, on your social media. <laughs> oh, is it, there's an app. There is an app for that. <laughs> totally. And I was just like, I don't want to I see don't that. Wanna, um, yeah. yeah, I used to be pretty bad with that, and then I just, you know, evening. It's it's probably the best thing I've ever done. It's just okay. I shut down my social media after about six, and that's that's my time. It's you know whether you're talking to family, friends, yeah, um, 
meditation. And, there, uh, and there's nothing to be, and there's nothing wrong with social media here. I don't want to make it sound like I, it, no. I, I, but social media serves a purpose as opposed right. to a mindless addiction of just, you know, looking through pictures or videos, it, 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 that mindless part, you know, your business. And back to what you say, preparing for sleep. It's, <laughs> it's not going right. to help. That's right. So yeah. you want to prepare for sleep. So, you know, I, I use a, an app that I've recently had. A, I was just looking at it. It's called the five minute journal and it's an app. So there's actually the written version of that as well, but it actually gives you some guidelines. So if you're not a journaler, find an app. I use five minute journal and, yeah. and, and uh, there's a written version of it, but there's an app that I use and uh, it's really getting out of your head the day and, and preparing for your sleep. And that really is the key is to prepare for your sleep. Yeah. Because we have to wind down, Kirsty, I could, this is like, I love this conversation, by the way. Um, I think there's just so oh, great. Me too. <laughs> many, many things to take away from this. And I th- there's, good, there's good. so much that you bring to the table in learning around health and fitness. And I, I, I actually wanted to, and, and we're going to, all my guests I want to have on the show again, because I think there's such a message for somebody like you to share for young women, mm-hmm. you know, in what you're, what you've battled in terms of, uh, and what you've learned. I don't want to say battled. There's lots of takeaways good for you, but what you've learned in that modeling space, in the social media space, in the body imaging space, in the, you know, the judgment and assessment and, you know, what goes on in the world and especially for women, I think. That's my right. own. That's my own opinion of it. Yeah, and definitely. I, I think there's so many lessons there. Pressure, social pressure. That social pressure for yeah. sure. But as we as we wind the our our conversation down today, I always uh, you know end with uh, what I call you know my rapid fire questions, and so there's just ten really really quick questions. You ready? I'm ready. What is one of, what's the book that you read that you really had an impact on you or that you like to gift? Oh, it's Dave Asprey, his game changer book. Game changer. Mm-hmm. What job do you hate to do, but you do it anyways, just because you're good at it? <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> because I'm going to, um, clean. Yeah. Isn't that something that's actually, I've had that one a few times. Do you have a favorite inspirational quote? I do. It's uh, it really resonates with me. It's uh, commit to the process and don't be attached to the outcome. Love that one. How about if heaven exists? What do you want to hear God say when you arrive at the gates? Arrive at the gates. <laughs> um, it's going to be a great time. <laughs> <laughs> I have never had that one. That's great. (laughs) On a scale of one to 10, how weird are you? Nine. (laughs) I don't think so. Room, desk, or car? What do you clean first? Car. Do you have a favorite tune? I love The Scientist by Coldplay. And do you have a favorite movie? Notebook. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's an oldie. Wow. I love it, but a goodie. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. What's your favorite swear word? Oh, should I say this? You, d- listen, say it, whatever it is. <laughs> We've had some wild it's, it's, ones. It's here. an English term. Yes. I'm, I'm a little no, nervous about it. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I'm so familiar with some of the stuff. I think you know this one. I think I'm not going to use that one. I think I would say the one that usually flies out of my mouth is probably the F bomb. Yeah, F bomb. Okay. 
Damn. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. What are you grateful for? Family. Hmm. Good one. Always, I'm grateful for the guests on my show. I'm grateful of, to uh, have the opportunity to speak with you and get to know you a little better. I'm grateful for the fact that we had the opportunity to meet. So uh, thank Amazing you so much. Amazing interview. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show, Kirsty. And uh, we're definitely going to have to have another one because we got to dig into some of this fitness and mental health stuff. I can't and wait. <laughs> we're going to uh, do I'm, it. I'm, I'm definitely warmed up now. I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to keep going. So whenever, whenever okay. you're ready. Thanks very much, Kirsty. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.